Hi, everyone. Dr. B here again. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Ask the Dentist. So if you hear a little hoarseness in my voice, as my wife said to me this morning, just finished a four-hour, wasn't meant to be that long, but nearly a four-hour Hyman Plus channel, Dr. Mark Hyman, his Plus channel, a kind of a dissertation on functional dentistry and how it really, knowledge of this and how that affects overall health is so important. And then there were some examples that I gave, some new studies, uh, some old studies, and all the stuff you've heard me talk about, the oral systemic connection, oral microbiome, and how recognition of those two things, major players now in oral health and treating it, and certainly other things as well, how all that is so important and how it really changes for those who don't know about it, and I'm thinking that the people that subscribe to Hyman's channel, maybe they don't know about that and it may be new information to them. And then I gave some tips at the end on what to look for, what to watch out for, and, and that kind of thing. So I do recommend that you sign up for his channel. I'll include a link to it and so you can listen to that. He's got lots of other, of course, wonderful master classes that I think are also very interesting also all very functionally minded and certainly make a lot of sense. So so anyway, that explains my voice. And today we've got, a, I think, kind of a cool, fun episode. We're going to talk about the tongue and piercings and what your dentist should be looking for and what you should be looking for in a dentist if you do have piercings, how to maintain it, how not to get shamed for it. We're going to talk about someone's mom. <laughs> We're going to talk about a, a lot of stuff. And But before I do that, as I've mentioned in previous episodes, I just wanted to shout out to Jennifer Chiang DDS in Sunnyvale. We used to work together in the Silicon Valley. She's a remarkable dentist and person. I just looked at her website recently. I referred her some patients. Her website, I'll give you the link that takes you directly to that aspect of it. Her website really does such a nice job of reviewing, giving an overview of functional dentistry. I mean, this to me is so invigorating. It gives me goosebumps. A young dentist. She went to UCLA Dental School. She's been out for 10 plus years. She's right now in her prime in terms of clinical experience and placing implants and just about everything you would expect from a young, functionally minded dentist. And, and then just to be able to see that she has taken to and understands and practices to the standard of functionally minded dental healthcare. And that was just so exciting for me. So I, instead of reviewing everything that she has, she has a, there's a one pager that she has, one link. She's got a beautiful infographic that makes it so straightforward and simple to understand why this is so important to consider if you want good oral health, certainly good overall health. And she covers it all, nothing new, just the way she puts it together on one page is amazing. So again, functional dentistry, I'm quoting from her site here, goes beyond treating the signs and symptoms and instead determines the root cause of disease. It addresses the entire body as an integrated system rather than a collection of independent organs. And below that, she's got a just a great some great bullet points that really will inspire you to seek out a functionally-minded dentist. So anyway, that's Jennifer Chang, DDS in Sunnyvale, California. That's in the Silicon Valley. And so heartening and invigorating to see that this concept of how we practice dentistry, the root cause approach is taking hold and that dentists are, that that generation of dentists certainly is excited. And I've spoken, as you can imagine, I speak to many young dentists and 
they reach out to me and the first thing they say is, thank you so much for re-inspiring me or inspiring me. It depends on what stage they are in their practice. It's a long haul coming out of dental school and practicing for 30, 35 years. And dentists go through many, many stages. And, you know, we need inspiration. We need hope. We need something to inspire us to help our patients. And the message is the same over and over. Thank you. This is wonderful. This has inspired me to be the best dentist I can be. So anyway, thanks to Jennifer. So definitely seek out her page. And if you're in the area, I would definitely recommend you go see her. She is on our functional directory list. So anyway, let's get to the question for today. For today's episode, it is asked by Emily. It's a great question. A lot of people have piercings. And it really is up to dentistry to address that, not to judge it. I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Actually, one of my dental assistants had her tongue pierced and I volunteered to be there. I I was curious. I wanted to know how this was done. This would certainly help round out my education and not knowing how it was done. It was very interesting to watch. And I'll explain a little bit more about that as as well. It's not what I expected, and it is a pretty refined process, and it's been around for centuries, probably longer. But it does have implications to your oral health, like gum recession, cracked tooth syndrome, infection, tongue issues. And I'm not saying that you can't not have a piercing and live with it, but there are certain considerations that maybe. Some of these tips may surprise you. Maybe you're not getting this advice from your dentist. So I will give you the functional approach on piercings, starting right after Emily asks her question. Here she is. Hi, Dr. B. I have a question for you. My dentist hates the seven oral piercings I have just as much as my mom does. I make sure that I keep them clean and fitted correctly so that they don't rub against my gums or teeth, and I'm careful when I eat to uh, not bite down on them. But is there anything else I should be careful about concerning piercings in the mouth? Thank you. Emily, this is a great question. There are a lot of people out there that have piercings. And most of them, I would say the majority of them, and I did look this up. I was curious about that statement. But most of them are around the mouth or around the nasal passages, which I consider to be part of the oral environment. So let's talk about this. It sounds like your mom and your dentist are well aligned on that one issue. And I'm sorry for that. I go to dental meetings and this will come up a lot among dentists and there will be dentists sometimes making fun of or talking about how shameful this is and how bad it is for oral health and without giving any reasons for it. And I've certainly seen my share of patients with piercings and the first thing they'll say is that, you know, don't make me feel bad about this. I'm sticking with it or I'm just going to do this for 10 years or something. And it's like, you know what? You don't need to tell me that. I'm here for you. I'm here to address whatever issues you have. It's not an issue. It's a health concern and we'll work our way around it. I'm here as an educator only, not to be your mom or your dad and tell you not to get tattoos and and piercings and all that. So so I'm going to give you my approach or, or my thoughts on this and how to make it work. And you said that you had seven piercings, and I'm not sure where they are. I'll highlight some of the most common ones, tongue, maybe lip, nostrils. And we can talk about how those areas are affected. They're all a little different. As you've heard me say before, the oral microbiome, which is a big player in today's episode, when talking about piercings, 
is different in each area of the mouth. They're little micro niches. In other words, the oral microbiome on the tongue is different than it is on the free gingiva or on the other side of where the lip would be, the inside of the lip. The nasal oral microbiome is different. I'll talk a little bit about that and how that affects things. But anyway, you know, I would be proud of what you've done. If it works for you, don't let anyone else tell you that it's the wrong thing to do. It's what you've done. And it's up to us as healthcare professionals to tell you all the things that could happen and how to ameliorate that or to prevent that from happening. So anyway, don't give my phone number or email out to your mom or your dentist. <laughs> so seven of them, again, I don't know where they all are. Seven of them, I think, the first thing that pops in my mind is seven is slightly worse than having one or two because there's going to be inflammation around these. The body is trying to deal with these foreign objects and there will be inflammation around these areas. And so there'll always be more inflammation with seven piercings rather than one or two. So keep that in mind. I would you probably don't have a baseline, but perhaps you do. I would get a CRP reading. That's a blood test that gives you an idea of what your inflammation levels are in your body. How is your body responding to the outside environment? And is there inflammation? Is your immune system on alert? And then over the years, maybe once a year, if you have a lot of redness or bleeding or tenderness around these piercings. If you don't, then maybe every five years, get a test and make sure that your your body isn't having to respond to this foreign substance. I'm talking about the material of the piercing, of course. So the most common things you'll hear about piercings are tooth damage and gum damage, gum recession and cracked tooth syndrome. And you've hinted to that. It sounds like you know about that and I'm sure you've been told that. So the worry is, is that while you're chewing, let's say you're reading, you're eating alone, you're chewing, and the chewing motion can sometimes, there'll be like little knee-jerk reflexes with the chewing motion and or will deflect off a hard piece of food or a rubbery piece of food. We're not used to a sudden texture change and the mandible will go sideways and you may inadvertently clip or bite on or bang up against the piercing, let's say in your tongue or in the lip. And that does happen. I've seen that happen. The tooth can crack and then you need a crown, maybe a root canal. But I don't see that happen too often. I have to say, I've read that to be the case in clinical studies and reports from other dentists, but I, I don't see it that often. But I will tell you that I do see gum recession around or near piercing. So, that is unfortunate. Gum recession is very difficult to fix. You can get a graft. I see that more in piercings that are closer to the free margin. That's the gum tissue near the teeth. So that would be like a lip piercing, but not necessarily a tongue piercing. But it could happen. Trauma from biting down on something that's in the mouth that is very hard unexpectedly can cause gum recession as well. In fact, again, you've heard me say that that's one of the reasons for gum recession, what we call a mucogingival issue where the gum recedes, you lose attached tissue. It can be oat bran flakes. It can be sourdough bread crust. It can be uh, pork rinds that aren't quite baked fully and they're crispy or hard on the inside. Popcorn is a good example of something that can cause that. So it's not just piercings, but there's this thing that the body does so well. It's proprioception, the sense of the self. And, and if you do get a piercing, I would, I would eat soft food for about a week or two, just so that you get that memory or programming of that sense of self of where that piercing is and how it handles itself 
the weight of it, the mass of it, how it handles itself in the body while, for example, when you're chewing or swallowing or when your tongue is moving. That would be a recommendation that I would make. Go slow. Don't get your tongue pierced, not that you would, and go out and have a hamburger and some fries or a big piece of steak. You just haven't learned how to handle that mass and that weight in the tongue, for example, in a tongue piercing. So gum recession and cracked tooth syndrome, that is possible, although I, I don't see it often. There are studies on this that talk about it. Just talking about it, there's really no way to study this other than it's observational and collecting data from other dentists. And it can happen. It's just not that common. So be aware of that. The tongue, let's talk about the tongue, tongue piercings, which are pretty common. First of all, make sure you're seeing a professional and that the instruments are clean, they're being autoclaved. And typically in the US that there is licensure for that and regulation. And when I went to see, watch my dental assistant get her tongue pierced, I was fascinated by this. I mean, this is my area of, of expertise, but I didn't know how they did it. And I was a little surprised what they do instead of just putting a poker through there like a sharp instrument so that they can right away put the tongue piercing in there, which looks like a little barbell with two little balls on it, one end screws on. Sometimes they'll put a healing bar in there first, but they actually do a core sample. That's the term I use. I don't know what the term is, but they do a core sample of your tongue. hope I'm not grossing anyone out, but if you think about it, that's the right way to do it because if you just pierce the tongue, you're not going to get closure on the ends. It has to be a clean cut. And so they literally take a round blade. It's a it's coarse sampling like down into the earth. And when you pull it out, you're taking out a small cylindrical portion of the tongue. And hopefully you haven't hit any blood vessels or any nerves. And that area of the tongue is is okay. I mean, if you know what you're doing. I've never heard of anything like that happening. So of course, that must be very painful, but that's the correct way to do it. And then they put in the bar or the piercing itself. And I would recommend that material be Delrin or, you know, of course, that's plastic. It's not ideal, but the metals aren't much better anyway, and they're heavier. And I worry about the weight of and the hardness of that material in case you're chewing quickly and it does get in the way. And by the way, people in the middle of the night, they'll wake up in the morning and come to see me and because they've got tongue pain and I'll see that they have literally bitten near the center or the midline of the tongue. And how would they do that? Well, it's possible. So don't think that you can't reach that part of the tongue while you're biting or incising. It can be done. So you have the ability inadvertently, of course, to hit that piercing. So I would make it plastic. There's some concern about plastic. The safest material would be a high quality dental gold with as few impurities in it as possible. The body doesn't really respond to it. the immune system doesn't see that as a threat. So those are just some tips. The lip is a little different because it involves the outside and the inside of the mouth, the biomes and the thickness of the skin on the outside. That's a different arena completely than the inside is. So you're going to have two different issues there. So with the tongue, you're just in the mouth. With a lip piercing, you're allowing bacteria from the outside world, which the mouth is used to getting involved with. Again, the mouth is the front line to the gut, to the gut microbiome, and to the world, outside world in terms of viruses and bacteria. And, and that's why the immune system is so specialized and so active in the mouth. But a lip piercing essentially is creating a little communication pathway between the inside and the outside of the mouth. And it's continual. That door is open all the time. And the body may not actually have the necessary defense systems to deal with that. So 
I'm going to tell you, describe to you what to look for if there is a problem. That way you can identify if it's an issue or not. So that worries me a little bit more. It's also a little closer to the area where you, your gums can recede. And while you're chewing, hard foods can get into the vestibule, which is that area, that pocket between the jawbone, the teeth, and the lip. It can be a hard piece of sourdough bread crust or tortilla chip, and that can cause problems. It can irritate the hole that the piercing enters and exits. It also can compact food in there. It's harder to clean than the tongue. So, so those are two examples of areas that I have experience with through my patients. And remember, these objects that you're putting in your mouth or in your lip, they're inanimate. And so are teeth. They're inanimate. But that's a very specialized area that we've spent billions of years evolving to. The body has a system of correcting for that, that inanimate object that pierces or pokes out of the jawbone into the mouth. And it's called the biological width, the periodontium, the collagen girdle. I mean, whatever you want to call it, that is highly evolved and very specialized to help prevent any infection in that area or passage of bacteria from one side to the other, from the mouth to the inside of the body. Of course, that can go wrong. We've talked about that. That's gum disease. That leads to the oral systemic connection and via three or four different mechanisms can allow oral bacteria to get to all parts of the body, including the brain, and be part of or cause causative for diseases like Alzheimer's and heart disease and all that. So just be aware of that. I mean, you're tempting fade a little bit with this inanimate object, but the good news is you have access to it and you can keep it clean. And think of this like a feeding tube. Feeding tubes or like a pick line, that's like a catheter that they put in to give you antibiotics directly to your heart so that it gets circulated through the body very quickly. Those have very high, I think it's called a secondary infection rate. And of course, they have to give you a lot of antibiotics while those lines are in place. And the nurses and the people that are taking care of you have to keep that wound clean where the feeding tube, for example, sticks out or the pick line comes out of. Pick lines are taped in a sterile field, but that wound has to be changed. And that's exactly what it is. It is a wound. So the question is, is how long can you handle that wound? That's the issue with piercings. So here's what to look for. So if there's any redness, tenderness, it feels sore, bleeding, bad smell, bad taste, that means the body isn't doing a good job of keeping that clean. So when you say you're maintaining them well, let's use the tongue as an example. What that means is removing that at least daily and cleaning that area out and scraping your tongue. Again, if you have a piercing, it's hard to scrape around that, especially at the base of that piercing. So make sure it's being removed once or twice. Rinse with a super saturated solution of salt water. That's warm or hot water. Keep adding high quality Himalayan salt or sea salt to it until it no longer dissolves. You see crystals in the bottom and then swish with that vigorously swish with that and picture that salt water being pushed through the piercing. And of course, piercings close up you don't have a lot of time and then clean the piercing itself. I would use some white vinegar. You can use something stronger if you want and then place it back in. But that's what's required. That's what I would expect. And that's what I tell my patients. And I, we actually do a run through in the office or, or my hygienist will. And we'll just make sure that that's exactly what we expect for you to make this successful for you in your life and not create an overall kind of inflammatory reaction. So that's an example of how we would 
let the patient know that this is the best way to maintain that piercing and to keep it clean. Some people have reactions to metals. Some of these piercings are of very low quality. They're high in nickel. There'll be a rash or allergy to that metal. Some people are sensitive to the Delrins, which is a plastic made by DuPont. I mean, that's not an ideal scenario either. Some people don't like the color of gold. Gold would be probably the cleanest, safest, the least, I guess the word is immunogenic material that would allow you to have that piercing without too much trouble. So in a nutshell, you have to worry about infection, inflammation, keeping it clean, and of course, the material itself. If you end up biting on it or scraping the side of your jawbone where the teeth are on the gums, you can cause gum recession. Typically, it's on the lingual that's on the inside. So I hope that is of some help. That's all I really have on piercings. And again, if your dentist ignores it and shames you for it, you really need to see someone else. You need someone to be able to give you a demo and to look at it and chart it and to measure it and maybe take a photo of it, intraoral photo, so that next time you come in, someone is keeping tabs on that because it's hard to see in your own mouth. But between you and a well-trained, observant dentist and hygienist, you should be able to manage these things for as long as you you need to. Piercings have been around, as I mentioned earlier, for a long time. When I went in to see my dental assistant get her and her fiance get their tongues pierced, this was in the Silicon Valley, I think it was Santa Clara. The shop was very elaborate. It had pictures and books and diagrams of piercings during the Egyptian times and well before that and talked about it, how it's different in each culture. So, you know what? It's not for me. It's not something I would do, but I have to say a well-maintained piercing can work. And if it's something that works for the patient, in other words, it's something you want, then our role, our only role here is to help you with it and make sure that we can teach you to maintain it. And if something does go wrong, we can give you options. And of course, if you take out the piercing, most of these things close up on their own. There is some scar tissue. One last thing I want to add, and I don't have any proof for this, but I do want to talk about it. I think I mentioned earlier, you got to scrape your tongue. If the piercing's in the way, again, the tongue has papillae on it, these taste buds, and and they grow. They actually, these are little cone-shaped bumps on the surface of your tongue. They're called the filiform papillae. They come in different sizes, and they don't shed as they normally do around a piercing. So take out the piercing, scrape your tongue. I would do that daily if possible, and then put it back in. And these papillae, they they typically grow like up to a millimeter before they normally desquamate. And it's a process called desquamation where they fall off and then they get replaced by new ones. So around the piercing, that may not be happening. And that's where that smell and inflammation will start. So I just wanted to clarify that and give you a little bit more detail on that. So the area around the tongue is not undergoing the regular amount of abrasion that it does from hard foods and and substances. So that's why you have to remove that tongue piercing because you won't be able to get in there with a tongue a tongue scraper. And then the papillae will grow very long around that piercing. They'll be too long and they could even turn black on you. I've seen that. It's it's kind of a related to black hairy tongue, which is a condition where these cone-shaped bumps essentially grow too long and they're not being desquamated. Desquamated, I guess is the term. They're not falling off as they should. So that leads me to my very last point. I think that certain piercings 
especially on the tongue, can affect your taste. And okay, who cares, right? But taste is part of the satiation response. In other words, if you're tasting foods for what they are and they're rich, food is is like information for the body. It's communication of the outside world to your body, and it's telling you what your environment's like. If the food's crap, then your body thinks it's dying of malnutrition, and it's going to take care of business and go through certain changes metabolically to, to, to fight that off. It may think it's starving. But the body, if it tastes these rich foods like spices and and certain fats and animal fats and proteins, then the body thinks it's doing well. So if you're having issues metabolically, if you think you're eating too much, you're gaining weight, you've lost the joy in eating, or your tastes have changed in certain types of foods, you're looking for sweeter foods, saltier foods, you may want to think that the piercing may be responsible for that. And then maybe take it out for a year and see if things change and improve. You can always go back to it. That means, again, of course, re-piercing it, obviously, but that's something you should consider. So I'm not sure you were aware of that, Emily, but I've seen that. I've had conversations with patients and and I kind of mention it and they're like, yeah, 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 that kind of is what I'm experiencing. And I notice that I choose different foods now. I have gained a little weight. Blood sugar levels could be an issue. Look to that. So anyway, I gave you as much information as I know on piercings. And the good news is that I had a lot of patients that did really well with it. In fact, I would say the majority of my patients, I would say at least 80%, maybe more. And there were a lot of them. They did very well. There were never any issues, no cracked teeth, no gum recession, no weird tastes, inflammation. Few of them got CRP tests. That was something I added later in my practice. But it seemed like everything was going well. And a lot of my younger patients, after knowing them for 10 years, they would remove them. And even then, there, was, there were no long-term ramifications. doesn't mean that there won't be. So just be wary. I think the last bit of advice, probably the most important bit of advice is make sure you have a dentist that is saying all the things I'm saying, or at least is looking for all the things that I just said. So anyway, Emily, I hope that helps and say hi to your mom and your dentist for me. And again, don't tell them where you heard this. <laughs> and one more thing, if you have any form of immune suppression, you may want to reconsider piercing. The body... Again, as I said, these are inanimate objects, and there's a biofilm that the body has to place on these piercings. It's a wound. It's a wound that constantly has to be maintained. And if your immune system is compromised in any way, it's going to be difficult. So also keep that in consideration. If you're a functional dentist, make sure to ask that question. Make sure your patient doesn't have any immune suppression, is on any meds that would cause that, because that's going to make that piercing area just very inflamed and difficult to maintain. So anyway, that brings us to the end of another episode. As I said earlier, I thought that was kind of fun. I love challenges. This is something they don't talk about in dental school. At least back then they didn't when I was in dental school. Maybe they do now. It's just something that I think still to this day surprises dentists. They, they really don't know how to handle it. And that first reaction you get from your dentist is, is very telling. They can give you a lot of detail on it and they feel confident they can help you with it, then you're in good hands. But if it's kind of like, oh, that's new, what made you want to do that? That gets into the opinion, judgmental aspect of it. You want the clinical, scientific 
practical side of it. So anyway, Emily, I hope that answers all of your questions. If you have questions like this, please ask them. It can be anything like today. And, and if you do have a question, go to speakpipe.com slash askthedentist. And again, I think we have a blog post on, no, you know what? We don't have a blog post on piercings. Maybe that's something we need to add, but we do have lots of other postings and blog posts on oral health in general. Go to askthedentist.com. If you have any general questions, we're on Instagram, also at askthedentist. And we're now on TikTok. <laughs> and boy, was I surprised at the growth on that. Within five, six weeks, I think we're at over 40K followers. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised because there isn't a lot of oral health information on TikTok. And I think what that tells me is that you all are hungry for more information. You know, we have a good following on Instagram. That's growing slowly. But the growth on TikTok really surprised me. And I thought about it a little bit. And I said, you know what? There is no social platform that we need to not do or stay away from because all of you are really looking for honest and reliable information on oral health. I get it. I got the message. <laughs> and thank you for all the followers on, on both Instagram and TikTok. And again, if you're looking for a functional dentist, we've got that covered. Go to our directory. We've kind of reformulated that recently. As I mentioned earlier today on this episode, Jennifer Chang is on that on that directory. She's kind of got the Silicon Valley covered for us. Thank you, Jennifer. Go to our directory. It's askthedentist.com slash directory. Again, thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. Look forward to the next one. See you there. Be safe. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Just a reminder that this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for professional care by a dentist, doctor, or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you're looking for help in your journey, seek out a qualified medical practitioner. If you're looking for a functional dental care provider, you can visit askthedentist.com directory and search or find a dentist database. It's important that you have someone in your corner who's trained, is a licensed healthcare practitioner, and can help you make changes, especially when it comes to your health.